to The Bag Drop, untold stories in golf. I'm your host and co-founder of New Club Golf Society, Matt Considine. Our guest today is Todd Schuster, also known as Tron Carter, the reformed hotelier turned C-suite co-founder of No Lane Up. With New Club's first full season in Atlanta now underway, I thought it would be fun to have our friend Tron join us on the pod so we could dive into his childhood hometown. TC brings his unbridled takes on all things from coffee and fine dining to Atlanta's often polarizing golf scene. We dive into his decision to start playing the game left-handed in June of 2020 after 30-plus years clearly dominating the golf ball from the right side. Speaking of being on the right side of the golf ball, we are now on the right side of St. Patrick's Day, which means our annual spring meeting, April 17th, happening at Sweeten's Cove, is less than a month away. Registrations are still open in the app, and this year, our official partner for the spring meeting is none other than Golf Blueprint. Every golfer is looking to improve, and the path to improvement is unique to each of us. We all have different resources, goals, available time, personalities, and mindsets, And our fellow new club members, Nico Daris, Kevin Moore, they draw on their analytics, education, performance, and psychology expertise to build data and research-driven improvement plans tailored to your game. If you're a member of new club, you can sign up directly in the mobile app for your Golf Blueprint exclusive package. You will receive six Golf Blueprint practice plans delivered monthly at a 25% discount compared to the standard membership. If you're not a member of New Club, you can check these guys out at golfblueprint.com. Today's cast, actually, Mr. Tron Carter is a believer in Golf Blueprint, successfully works with Kevin and Nico, I believe, for his transition to the left-handed side of the golf ball. Uh, So go check out Golf Blueprint. They're great guys, and, and they do extraordinary work. Now, without further ado, on to the show with Tron Carter of No Lane Up. Tron Carter, a.k.a. Todd Schuster, welcome to The Bag Drop. Matt, thanks. Thanks for thanks for having me. Excited to do this. Excited to be with you again. Um, I first have to congratulate you on the coaching changes down at uh, your hometown oh, now. I mean, Jacksonville's <laughs> a city of champs. That's great. You got leadership. You got uh, people with quality of character you know, at the helm. Uh, what do you think about Urban? Oh, well, you know, he's already forced my colleague to, to move. Uh, Randy was, Randy was in, in Columbus during, you know, the the back end of, of Urban's tenure there. And, uh, he said, I can't, I can't live in the same city with him again. So, um, I'm, I'm not an Urban Meyer fan and it's funny because there's not a whole lot of Urban Meyer fans down here because there's so many Florida fans based on how he left, left Gainesville it's it's uh you know left a lot of bad taste in people's mouth there so you know not off to a great start either with uh you know some of the some of the coordinator hires and bringing in Brian Schottenheimer to be the passing game coordinator and then there was the whole strength coach fiasco last week so you know just a, a inauspicious start yeah he, I, I think the same thing for those Florida people, the same thing will happen that happened for my entire family who are all Ohio State Buckeye fans. Uh, I had to get outside the bubble to kind of see what was going on. But, you know, I have never heard worse things said about anyone than Urban Meyer when he was at Florida and, and he mm-hmm. beat Ohio State 42 to seven 
you know, yeah. whooped up on Trestle in the uh, national championship. And, you know, as soon as he came, all those words were forgotten. As soon as he showed up <laughs> in Columbus, everyone's like, you know, he, he really changed his ways. <laughs> He's a leader yeah. of men. <laughs> I'm like, yeah. this is the same guy that you guys were all talking to calling a cheater. Um, yeah. And it'll, it'll inevitably end badly here in Jack's as well. It's just a matter of time. So yeah. Yeah, regardless. Yeah, I, I will say I like I like Ryan Day. I think he, he's the first Ohio State coach in, gosh, maybe in my lifetime that I've actually like respected and think he's a, a quality human being, a quality coach. So, <laughs> well, we'll leave it at that. I don't want to offend any of our Ohio State. <laughs> uh, so I, I was thinking of people to talk to about Atlanta, and yeah. the Schuster brothers were on the top of my list. Uh, Neil said to talk to you that you spent more time in, in the, the ranks of uh, Atlanta golf, but you guys both grew up there. Um, yeah. So I want, I want to kick things off talking a little Atlanta golf. Uh, before we get to the golf, share some of what are some of your favorite non-golf memories of, of growing up in Atlanta? Gosh, um, I, was t- I was telling somebody the other day, I think I've been to over a dozen World Series games. And the Braves have won like two of those. I think they're like two and 10 or two and 11 in those World Series games that I've been to. Um, so, you know, you said City of Champs earlier. It's, it's like the opposite of the City of Champions. It's, it's uh, between, the, the, between the Hawks and the Braves and the Falcons and uh, the, the Thrashers, RIP the Thrashers. Uh, it's, it's really a, um, it's a tough place to be a sports fan. And, um, you know, so that's kind of top of mind. Like the only time I've ever seen a championship parade, we were, we, we lived in Toronto for a couple of years when I was growing up. So when the Braves won the world series in 95, we were actually living in Toronto and we, but we moved to Toronto right after they won back-to-back world series in the early nineties. So we didn't see any of those either. So the only time I've ever (laughs) seen a championship parade was we lived down the street from where the, uh, Patriots, uh, championship parade started in boston and so the the 28 to 3 game that was the only time i've ever seen a championship parade and that was after they beat the uh falcons so um atlanta was a great place to grow up you know the the uh the weather you know obviously the weather's awesome um you know seasonal allergies quite a bit in in you know march march april time frame but no it was it was fantastic place to grow up um i don't think i realized like quite how good the food scene was until I, until I moved away. Um, even going to Boston was, was kind of a step down um, as far as the food scene goes. And now being down here in Jacksonville, I relish any, any chance I get to go back to Atlanta and, and eat, um, you know, growing up, like, so, so we grew up out in the, in the Northern suburbs, like out kind of um, just South of the Chattahoochee river, uh, right behind the Omni country club off of Spalding drive on the border of Dunwoody and Sandy Springs. And whenever I go back to like visit my parents, I always feel like I'm on an island. And the only way to get off that island is to sit in your car for like 20 to 25 minutes and go sit in traffic. <laughs> um, so, you know, it's, it's, it's definitely an interesting city just because you are so tied to your car. Yeah. Um, but, you know, but on the flip side, it's, I think like, it, it reminds me a lot of DC and that like, it's a, it's a city of neighborhoods, right? And there's, and there's, um, I think Uber's helped out a lot as far as like going out and, and you know, kind of exploring the city, um, and, you know, and just people moving back into the city between Decatur and, uh, you know, down by Eastlake, all that. And then 
the west side kind of you know blown up over the last 10 years or so so it's um it's definitely pretty dynamic place it's been growing since since we were kids i mean it's crazy to see where it was in 92 93 to where it is now it's like you know almost almost indistinguishable um gosh as far as like favorite memories go um trying to think we, we used to have a big concert series uh you're in chicago it's kind of like a poor man's Lollapalooza called music midtown and the early days of that were awesome it was when i was in high school i remember you know seeing like outcast and and just like really like you know awesome awesome concerts um down for that that was that was during high school um the olympics is a is a great memory um we were fortunate to go to a, a ton of events my dad's company was a big sponsor so went to a ton of those events um like mountain biking beach volleyball um you know dream team stuff that was cool um it was probably like the most poorly run uh games too so <laughs> i was gonna say that documentary I, I can't remember what that was on but yeah it looked like they had they had their issues yeah oh for sure it was yeah it was, it was so commercialized and so and that was that was billy Payne. Um, oh who, yeah who, who was running oh, all yeah. that so yeah billy Payne. I, I don't i don't have a very high opinion of him he actually lived uh his sister lived across the street from us when we were growing up um and then uh gosh what else um yeah, really just, you know, more or less like the springtime was great. Like used to go to the masters pretty much every year, like our next door neighbor um, does the main scoreboard over there. And, and um, you know, it was just kind of, it was a short drive, two hours over there. And it was kind of, you know, before like the, I feel like the tickets, you know, the ticket scene really took off in like the mid to late two thousands. And, you know, it's just gotten like, you know, 10 15x the prices yeah. of what it was 96 97 all the way through you know even into the early 2000s so um was fortunate to go to go to a lot of masters um there and then um otherwise just you know like playing a lot of uh a lot of golf around the state and um you know it, it it's a it's a great place to play golf it's not a great place for great golf though that makes sense like there's not a there's not a whole lot of of great golf courses um especially you know and, and it's weird because there's there's so much good land the weather's good and all that but um but i think most of my you know i don't i don't, I don't think i realized how how mediocre of a, like a art, golf architecture city it was until i moved away yeah kind well, of and we'll, we'll get to golf. A couple more questions, yeah. non-golf, yeah. before we let it dominate the rest of this yeah. conversation. Uh, I know we're both fans of, of uh, artisan coffee. So, what's your best? What's your favorite coffee shop in LA? Oh man, there's a there's a couple. Um, I think we lived in like kind of Ansley Park, uh, like just south of Buckhead, kind of between Buckhead and Midtown. So, there's a couple over in um, over in Decatur. What's the name? Uh, it's Octane Coffee over in West Midtown. That place is really, really good. Um, but really, it's been like it's probably been seven, six or seven years at least, probably eight years now since I lived there. So I think it's changed quite a bit. Um, I'm trying to think where else. That could be a long time for a coffee shop. <laughs> it could, it could change. Yeah. Drastically. No, exactly. <laughs> Uh, what about the the chef scene? So, any Michelin star rated restaurants that 
we we do this question is a bit selfish because we do a uh for for those of our members who host at their clubs you know we play public private and a lot of our members yeah. will host at the end of the year we go to just a nice ass dinner and so i'm always looking for like a, a michelin star you know rated place that would you know impress uh spouses and and you know partners yeah that it's and again i think it's, it's changed quite a bit and there's there's plenty of new places that, that i know i'm missing here but um but there's some standbys um used to um and and really not even you know i'm not sure if michelin stars or whatever but just places that i used to frequent uh, i'm not a huge ford fry fan but he's got i do like um i really like his uh his place over in decatur um number 246 um that place is fantastic there's um i'm trying to think where else um miller union's always good um empire state south which is one of um hugh atchison's places uh, that's kind of perfect location in midtown great 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 outdoor dining which i know is important right now as well um god i used to go to taqueria del sol like four times a week <laughs> so that was that was up there so um the, the, the mexican food scene in atlanta is like i i, I yeah that's uh Mexican food I've had is either in Atlanta or uh, Arizona. Yeah. Yeah. Actually, you know where it has great Mexican food, like completely out of nowhere? Salt Lake City. Salt Lake City has some of the best Mexican food I've had anywhere. Of it's course. unbelievable. Of course. Um, yeah. Even here in Jack's, I kind of miss, like, we've got a couple couple decent places. But when I was in Boston, like, that was, that was the thing that I missed the most about Atlanta was, you know, you just go all up and down Buford Highway and you can pop into so many places like there's so like I, I i love vietnamese food and there's a bunch of good vietnamese places over on buford highway good korean places there's a great ethiopian restaurant um uh, buford highway farmers market was, was was so good um but yeah i mean really so hal's is like one of my favorite steakhouses in atlanta i think bones gets bones is kind of resting on its laurels um you know bones is kind of the old standby you know place um but but Hal's is more of like a New Orleans style, um, you know, kind of Cajun style seat, uh, steakhouse. They've got unbelievable like fried crawfish. And, and I just like the way they cook their steaks. It's really, uh, you know, understated, uh, casual place. That's um, kind of on the west side of uh, Buckhead there. And then, um, gosh, where else? There's a, um, uh, speaking of Mexican places, there's a place, um, Nuevo Laredo on the west side kind of right by like the top golf on the west side um that place is unbelievable the guy um actually the guy that owns a chance used to be at the ritz all the time and he he uh he was great to us so we used to go there all the time they've got these this like green onion this just green onion dish that's unbelievable um and then God, I mean, you can't go wrong with like chops and lobster bar down in kind of the Buckhead scene. There's all that new stuff down at the streets of Buckhead and all that. Um, there's a really, really cool place called La Grotta. It's a, it, uh, it's an Italian restaurant. It's, it's like straight out of the sixties or the seventies. It's in this really kind of not, not dingy, but just really dated um, like high rise condo building um, right on Peachtree between Buckhead and Midtown. And it is so it, like, it's this big room in the basement and awesome, awesome uh, kind of old school Italian joint. Um, 
Yeah. And then, and then Kima, that's another one of my favorites. It's a, it's a Greek place uh, owned by the same people. Like it's, it's owned by the Buckhead life group. So they've got a bunch of restaurants around town, but they have the best grilled octopus dish I've ever had. So. Love it. Our last non-golf Atlantis superlative best rapper. Oh man. Um, I got to go with Andre, you know, he's just, he's kind of the, kind of the OG, um, you know, is, it, is there anyone it, outside of, I think we're about the same age. So is there anyone outside of that come up, you know, of the nineties that can contest? I mean, he carried into the two thousands, but is there any generation of Atlanta rappers that can contest you think with that group? I don't think so. I mean, yeah, I feel like all the guys now have, probably it's probably better better production and you know there's just so many so many guys working on beats now and all that so they've got kind of a better foundation but yeah between between andre and and like big boy used to and like those guys too i like it wasn't just about how how talented and how great their music was too i think it was about like everything that they everything that they put back into the community and put back into just like the cultural scene like i mean i you know um so I used to valet park in high school and, and during the summers in college and uh, big boy's girlfriend lived like in the, in the condos above one of the places I valet parked and he would come in a couple times a week and like could not have been cooler to everybody. And, and like, like almost on another level beyond like a famous athlete that comes in. It was like, you know, like got along with everybody. It was just good to people. Used to see Andre all the time at the whole foods in Buckhead and like same same kind of thing just like really really normal um you know normal interesting like worldly dudes and um you know i think everything that they did for you know everybody around them like that whole ecosystem and that whole music scene i think it just like lifted everybody else up so you know kind of moving beyond the music it was just like what they meant to the city really as a whole so no i don't think anybody compares if, if I ever get in like a mental rut during the week and need to just rip myself out of it, I always go back to like childhood music and outcast yeah. is on that playlist. And every time it gets me like, all right, yeah, let's go. Yeah. No, I mean, some of the, like, in, like I, I, I get kind of frustrated because some of the, you know, starting with like speaker box and even Stankonia and all that, like those are good albums, but like they're early stuff like Equimini and um, you know, all this stuff like wheels of steel and, uh, Spodio, Edopolicious, like all that stuff. Like that's the stuff I go back to, and I'm like, God, like Players Ball. Like that's that that stuff gets me just totally amped because it's it's so positive, but it's also it's got it's like so groovy too, you know. Speaking all right, speaking of amped, let's get into Atlanta golf scene. Um, yeah. By the way, I think when I think about questions I want to ask you, it's all related to kind of rankings and superlatives. I think you were born to be a reviewer, just to be a critic. <laughs> like you, because you, you give like very quickly, you give very thoughtful. I mean, whether it's food, wine, coffee, like I, I think that's a big part of Tron Carter. <laughs> Would you agree? Yeah, no, I, I've always had, God, my mom always said, she's like, God, you, you just give really, really strong opinions. And, and what I've tried to kind of do is like, you know, it's one thing to have strong opinions. It's another thing to like be able to back them up and, and be, you know, of course it's subjective, but, but have objective, you know, things to, to kind of, uh, you know, support them with. So, you know, I think being in, like I was in the food and beverage industry for, for, for a while, my wife still is. And um, you know, I think just that combined with, and then 
going into, you know, hotels, it's like every, you're kind of trained to have a critical eye, um, you know, especially when you're managing that kind of stuff. So it's, you know, attention to detail, I think is, is super important. And I always like, you know, hopefully it's, it's what I've tried to do is like be just as positive, like, you know, obviously you're going to have your negative reviews and your strong opinions of stuff that, that kind of pisses you off, but also balance that out with, with, you know, trying to lift up the stuff that the stuff and the people that are doing it right too. I'll ask it now. I was going to ask it later, but you know, with golf takes and as your presence has, you know, grown and you know, you got a lot of critical eyes looking at your critiques, right? Do you find it's more pressure added to be, to be right? Yeah. I mean, I think going back, it's like, you know, I think it's, there's definitely more pressure to be right on certain, like on very objective, like reporting or on, on, stuff that matters stuff that affects someone um you know a lot of the time like we won't like like when we're planning out tourist sauce or we're planning to go do a course review somewhere like a lot of the time like if we know we're gonna hate a place like we just we just won't go there because like i don't want to i don't want to unnecessarily flame somebody or i know that's going to affect somebody's livelihood um you know always willing to kind of give open and honest feedback when people ask for it and that sort of thing but you know, like those series, we kind of want to just lift up the good places versus kind of tearing down the bad places. Um, but yeah, I mean, as far as social media and podcasts and everything, I think that was not a crisis, but but definitely a learning, you know, a, a challenge over the last couple of years as we've gotten bigger. But the longer you do it, the more you realize like, hey, like you, you, you can't really be measured in what you say. You just got to, you got to own it. And you got to say what you think and, and you know, you're never going to please that. You're never going to please everybody. And as long as you're, you're true to yourself and you're saying what you believe. Um, but on the same token too, like, I don't always like, hopefully I'm not always right. Cause that means I'm playing it way too safe. Right. I think that that's the other really big element is like being, not being afraid to be wrong. Right. Being able to, to have your opinions or your views evolve and, you know, have a dialogue with people and be willing to change your mind. I, th- I think that's that's spot on. I have nothing to add. I think it's a big part of your uh, fan base too. A lot of us that love following you guys and watching is we know there's authenticity behind what what Tron's going to tell you about a certain place. And by the way, as we get into golf courses, uh, nobody's listening, Tron. So you can you can flamethrow all you want, brother. <laughs> this is this isn't yeah. your show. This is. <laughs> This is just a few a few members down in Atlanta. We got we got some new listeners in Atlanta, but um, so I I've been you know this is our, our first year in Atlanta. So I've I've yeah. done my research and started to dig what I can dig and um, you know just find compelling golf. Like we don't care if it's I think a lot of people think new clubs is all private and um, and we're about that uh, access. Uh, we're about compelling golf, right? So we're just yeah. trying to find and and Atlanta like like you mentioned is just different. You know Chicago where we've been for four years is is just so different than how Atlanta is as a city, but also it's, it's golf scene. Um, and, and you touched, touched on that, but I might start with, uh, well, like that's, I should I start with my list of, pub, I w- I'd like to start on public side if that's right. Or would you maybe yeah, share with the, no. the, your favorite? Yeah, well, I think, yeah, I think going back to like, you know, I, I think Atlanta has a lot of things working against it. Like, you know, just like I said, there's, there's on the, on the surface, it would seem like, man, there's, you know, it's kind of like Charlotte and Nashville are similar as well, where like you would think there'd be just so much good golf and all that, but these cities grew so much during, you know, 
during the 80s, 90s, early 2000s when it was just straight, you know, real estate plays. And there's, you know, there's not a whole lot of classic golf there because classic golf course architects didn't, you know, didn't really visit Atlanta or didn't really visit Nashville, um, you know, other than, than uh, you know, you've got Bell Mead and, and then Charlotte Country Club up there. But like, there's really, you know, really like the kind of really even like Eastlake to me is kind of like, you know, everybody kind of holds it on a pedestal. I don't really like, like, like it's just kind of, we can get into that, but it's just it's like, even the courses that get the most notoriety and the most acclaim, um, I think it's for, it's for tournament golf. And it's because like people just said, Hey, they, they must be nice because they held a PGA here or they have a tour championship here and they're nice courses, but I don't think they're, I think they're, 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 you know, influence is a little bit outsized as far as what they actually are. Yeah. So. Yeah. The notoriety maybe outweighs the yeah. substance a lot of times. Um, I'll give you a list of starting on the public side and then we'll talk private. Uh, I'll give you a list of 10 names and you could tell okay. me who belongs and who, or who, who's out of place on that list and then, and throw in some that we're missing. Hey, hey. And for context, this is, this is 10, 10 of the best in your opinion, or 10 of kind of the ones doing it right. You know what? This is actually not even a pro. This is kind of like my research of like, if I were just doing it on my own and I was like, all right, I'm going to go play some public golf. This is the list I would have come up with from the internet. (laughs) That's what this list is, but I, I'll, I'll, I love your take. So, uh, Cherokee run echelon, the frog Ashton Hills, cobblestone stone mountain, Heritage Links, Bears Best, The Fields, Summer Grove. Okay. All right. Who's, so let's go one. Let's go one by one here. So you started with Cherokee Run. Cherokee Run. All right. Cherokee Run. Uh, actually, Harrison Minshew, who was one of uh, uh, Arnold Palmer's design associates, and actually did the renovation at Jack's Beach. Uh, basically designed that course. Um, there's some really cool holes out there. The ninth hole is one of the worst holes I think I've ever played. Um, great value, relatively close to the city, down in Conyers area. Um, it's funny. There's like there's there's like a granite outcropping down there. Kind of there's like this vein of granite between like Conyers and like Stone Mountain, and, and it kind of runs you know runs north and south there. And it's interesting to see. Um, there's some there's some holes out there where like that are like firmer than concrete. Um, yeah, I know, noticed. But, I noticed a lot of my courses yeah. are down in that area. Conyers kind of seems where the, like the land is at in a way. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Yeah, so I think that's yeah. I would say we used to play there. Um, you know, after college, we used to play there probably once a month. Um, good course, some good holes out there. You know, you can, you normally get out there for. And granted, like take everything I say with a grain of salt because I haven't really played all that much up there in the last you know, five, five, six, seven, eight years. So it's, you know, a with conditioning and pricing, like those, those two things. So kind very, of fluctuate. very variable. Yeah. Gotcha. Yep. Yeah. yeah. So that one definitely belongs, I think. Cool. Then uh, echelon. Echelon used to play there all the time. Um, so that it was, was pretty sweet. Pictures be, look sweet. Yeah. That was supposed to be the Georgia tech golf club. Um, and it opened like, you know, 2007, 2008. So just really poor timing. Great time um, to get into golf. Great time. Yeah, kind of a real estate play, but uh, Reese Jones. Um, so there's some, you know, there's some stuff that you don't love to see out there, but there's there that place is like they can stretch it out like 7,800 yards from the tips. Um, 
I remember I had five, five or six birdies out there one time and I, and I shot like 78. I mean, it's, there's, there's doubles, triples, quads lurking everywhere. The, there's some really, really good holes on that back nine too. Um, and crazy, crazy, um, crazy elevation change, especially like 12, 13, 14. Um, so yeah, that was, that was one of my standbys. I used to go up there, you know, always in pretty good shape. And, um, I, you know, I think they've kind of rebounded. You used to be able to get up there for 50, 60 bucks. Nice. Uh, the frog, the frog, uh, I think it's a little bit overrated. That was kind of the, you know, public golf. Isn't it your boy? It's the Foz. It's the Foz. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah, it's, you know, it's, I don't normally go east or west of the city all that much it's pretty far out west um i think if you're going to drive to the frog just go out to the fields um you know it's it's the frog is it's kind of like a 90s foz period piece there's some good holes out there it's normally in good shape um i think it's probably a little bit overpriced too ashton hills never played there i've I'm never really, heard of it. i think of this list that's the one i'm most curious about it's in Where Con- is that one? Conyers. In Conyers. Okay. Yeah. And it looks like I, I, I'm guessing it's made its strides like in the last couple of years. Okay. You know, some updates, some tweaks. So I, I'm most curious about that one. Okay. Uh, Cobblestone. Cobblestone. I haven't played there in a long time. Played, played a couple of junior golf events up there. So, but um, by all accounts, good course. I don't really, you know, it doesn't really ring a bell too much um, as far as from my junior days, but yeah. This one looks bonkers. Uh, Stone Mountain. Yeah, so they have two courses out of Stone Mountain. Um, they have the, like the Stone Mount and Lake Mount, I think, and there's uh, Stone Mountain Lakeside. So, so uh, yeah, this one's like fifty, late fifties, sixties. Uh, Robert Trent Jones Senior, and it is like it's hard. The greens <laughs> are small. They're like there's I think there's only there's only two par fives, and I think there's I don't even think they have four par threes, but I, like at one point you play like 14 par fours in a row. Like it's, it's insane. And they're all like <laughs> long, Ellie, man. Straight, Come on. It's just a throwback. Narrow. To... <laughs> it's firm. Cause it's, it's kind you know, it's, it's over there. Um, like you play over there in the summer and it is, it is tough to stop your ball in those greens. So um, yeah, it's, it's a good challenge. Um, Stone Mountain's kind of a pain in the ass to get to. You gotta like it's like inside the park and you gotta like you gotta pay to get in the park and all that. But but yeah, that was actually that course was managed by Marriott. So I used to be able to like go over there and play for free. So big hospitality, um, doing it, doing yeah, it up. Yeah. Uh Heritage Links. Uh Heritage is cool. I think they I think they have the 27 out there. Um that's out in like Tucker area, kind of kind of like pretty central to everything um you know up on the north northeast side um dr j owned it for a while um it's uh not, you know nice co- nice nice enough course it's it's a little scruffy around the edges and there's some pretty wonky stuff out there but uh but yeah it's you know good standby if you're looking looking for somewhere under uh, probably under 100 bucks to play bears best uh overpriced and and yeah, just it, and it's kind of a, it's it's pretty short these days now too. Um, 
I had, yeah. I had a Chicago member who has such disdain for Nicholas golf courses that they told me if I added bears best to the rotation in Atlanta, that they'd quit. They're just out. Yeah. <laughs> it's, can't it's just kind of it. lifts up all the wrong stuff. And yeah, and, you know, it's, um, yeah, it's just, it's just kind of icky. But when you look at, when you look at just like, you know, reviewer ratings, I mean, from probably public conditioning and all the other yeah. you know, statistics, you know, but it's like top. And I just think it seems so weird to have a, a Nicholas replica course. <laughs> yeah. Oh, it's bizarre. Uh, the fields. The field is great. I, I know the conditioning has been spotty out there the last, last couple of years, but it sounds like they've got a good plan moving forward. Um, I haven't played out there in, in a while in God, since, since like the, you know, 20, probably a couple of years before I moved away. So um, that place is cool though. You know, like kind of everything that's right with golf. Yeah. Yeah. Mike and so. Mike and uh, Ashley young down there. They're, yeah. they're awesome guys. Uh, yeah. Summer Grove down that Summer way Grove, never played it never yeah played it. that that's one that's uh it's a chicago connection it's actually the gemsick family that owns cog hill up here oh, okay um they they own that and so you go you go to cog you know what you're getting you know it's not gonna like blow you away but it's solid yeah. you know like they, they take great care and the courses are good they're just not like great so i i, I added that just from their reputation up here but who knows um okay what, what, what are we missing Pub, public wise yeah you're missing um so, you know, Bobby Jones gets all the acclaim with the nine hole. I haven't, I actually haven't played it since they redid it. Um, that, that, that there in North Fulton used to be kind of my standbys if I just wanted to go out and get a quick round in, but, um, kind of up North, um, if you drive up past echelon on 400, there's one called Chestity up there, which is really, really good. Um, I used to play there a lot in high school. Um, that place conditioning i'm you know again i'm not sure these days but conditioning was always good back in the day play there for under 100 bucks um and then another place up there called a chasta that is awesome uh it's an it's it, it's a nicholas course so it's under seven thousand yards from the tips um you know kind of a kind of a housing development but but houses aren't right on the course uh 17 of the 18 holes are right along the chastity river and um is the Chesty River one of the rivers up there? And it's basically, um, you know, just kind of winds back and forth. Uh, it is super scorable, and it's it's kind of a precision golf course. I love that place. That's probably oh. one of my favorites. And then another one is um, uh, Wolf Creek. It's down by the airport. I always tell people like if you're you know if you have a layover or you're coming in for you know a bowl game or something like that. Wolf, it's not in the best area. I mean, it's in like unincorporated Fulton County, kind of, um, you know, kind of a weird mix between like residential and commercial and everything like that. But it's super easy to get to uh, from the airport and from kind of downtown area. And there's only one fairway bunker on the entire course. It's on the first hole. And I, I, I didn't really realize like that, that until like the second <laughs> or third time I played. It's like, man, like I just, I really like playing here. It's really, it's really comfortable. And then, um, you know, and it's, it, like the greens are always in, in really, really good shape, uh, great layout. And like, it's not gonna, it's not gonna beat you up, but it's gonna like, there's a lot of, it's a great second shot golf course. 
that so I, it's, I, it's super affordable. I did. Yeah. I, I saw it and I, and I thought to myself, this is either one of those like awesome value plays or one of those, like, don't touch it <laughs> because when you see the price yeah. point, you get, you wonder, right. It's like, all right, what, what is it? But if places like that take care of their greens, it can be the best places. Exactly. Yeah, no, that was, that was, I mean, I had never really even had a reason to go down there and play it until I, until I graduated college and moved back to Atlanta. And like, I used to go down there, you know, once or twice a week and play. I mean, it's that good. So those, you know, there is a funny thing about that stage in life when you finish, you know, cause you, I, I grew up at a country club. I think you guys did too. And uh, when you fall off of the parents dime, you know, and you can't oh, yeah. play the rounds, you, 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 those are the people I want to talk to about courses because they're exploring the most, you know, they're seeing, them. They're, they're just like, well, let's try this place. You know, <laughs> who knows? Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, like I, I actually quit playing golf for, you know, two or three years, kind of right before we started no laying up, I quit playing golf and then no laying up got me back into it. And, um, and then Sweetens got me back into it. Like I, you know, went up to Sweetens a couple of times just for, for the day and realized like, God, like, you know, all the stuff that I hated about playing golf in Atlanta on the weekends, like I could just go up to Sweetens and, and truly, you know, just enjoy it for the day and not have to worry about a six hour round. And, and, um, you know, so like, that's kind of what, what like reinvigorated my love of the game after I got kicked in the nuts repeatedly by, you know, guest fees at private courses in Atlanta, not being able to afford a membership anywhere and crappy public golf, you know, (laughs) that's man. It's, uh, the spirit of sweetens has brought more people back to the game than maybe yeah. any grow the game initiative. <laughs> it's crazy. Yeah. You talk to Kevin Moore. He he's the same way, right? He, he was, he was a decade off and then it just, uh, it sunk in with him. And I didn't, I didn't know that actually that sweetens was one of the places that brought you back. Yeah. Yeah. Like I, I, I used to go up to, so I'm trying to think what years, this is probably 2013 through like 2015. Um, I basically quit playing and, and started just going up to North Georgia and like fly fishing. And so I would just go up to like the, the, um, um, like, uh, Amicola Creek and a few other places up there and just would, would fish either, you know, all day Saturday or all day Sunday or both. And, um, and then, you know, a couple of people invited me up to Sweetens right after it opened. And that was like, it was like a light bulb going off, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah, I think another place that's probably if people are going out to like the northeast side of town, um, used to be really good. They have like the actually the uh, the uh, AJGA is based out there, it's Chateau Elan. Um, they've got three or four courses out there. They're they're um, there's some good holes out there, and it's you know I think the last couple of times I've been there, the conditioning's been really spotty, but uh, but really good really good land out there, and could be could be good. The one that we always used to um, play when I was growing up, but you know, it could be really, really cool, but they just, it's just packed all the time. And, um, kind of a funky layout is river pines and that's out in, in, you know, Alpharetta Roswell area. Um, but I wish they would like put some money into that place and kind of revamp it. Yeah. Uh, So. so the, on the private side, we, you know, we're fortunate as new club members to play both public and, and private tea times. But uh, what I, we don't need to go through the extensive list of all. I mean, because that's the thing you start. There is a long list of private golf in Atlanta, more, yeah. maybe longer yeah. than any other city. Um, where are some places that 
just maybe aren't on everybody's radar that that you have played and and you could recommend? Yeah, public wise, I think the one that that springs to mind first and foremost is is, is Rivermont. That place is awesome. Um, uh, the Cupid family owns it. They Chris does an unbelievable job. Um, it's always putting money back into the course, tweaking it. It's kind of a true golf club. Um, not very walkable. I mean, it's a tough walk. We used to play the front nine back there all the time in high school, just like before daylight savings. And um, it's really, really tough too. I mean, it's a great test of golf. They, they redid it a few, uh, probably, probably close to 15 years ago now, 10 or 15 years ago. Um, they redid it and it was always good. And now it's great. Um, Conditioning is always good. They have like U.S. Senior Open qualifying out there most years, I think. And um, just, yeah, just like really captivating shots. Um, Chris is bringing some, you know, kind of uh, classic, like golden age philosophies into the, into the architecture of the course. Um, they've added some new tee boxes and stuff. But yeah, that place is like, I would join there tomorrow if I, if I moved to Atlanta. It's, 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 a, it's affordable um, you know, good, like good membership too. Like a lot of, a lot of good players out there. So that would be first and foremost on my list. Um, I actually like the capital city course in town. Nope. It's just kind of funky and, and I don't really care for the crab apple one. Um, but the capital city in town course is, is fun. Um, I enjoy that. Uh, Atlanta country club, I think is underrated. Um, that I place agree. is really, yeah, really, really cool. Um, you know, good piece of property and very low key. Like, I don't think there's, there's not a whole lot of pretense over there. It's, it's, you know, it's just, they just kind of mind their own business over there. Um, gosh, where else? Um, I've only played Peachtree a couple times, so I can't, can't comment too much. I caddied out there a little bit, um, back in high school, caddy for a couple of events there. And, um, I wish they would kind of contribute more to the, like golf ecosystem in Atlanta, they're just super closed off. Um, it's kind of the waiting room for Augusta. Hey, they, yeah, they got they got a reciprocal with Augusta. What's the problem? That's they're open. Yeah, no, but it's like you know, you know, host a host a qualifier, host a you know, host something, you know, every once in a while, and just you know, let the public through the gates. Yeah. Um, like but, the Philly, like what happens in Philly, you know? Yeah, they're great yeah. golf courses are are always hosting something. Yeah, it's like at some point, like every 10 years, host a, you know, host a mid-am qualifier or host the Georgia, you know, the Georgia State AM or something like that, just to kind of pay it forward a little bit. Um, let's see here. Other privates. Dunwoody Country Club, where I grew up, um, it is 17 really good holes. And one, the fifth hole is like one of the worst holes you'll ever play. It's like a dog leg, just like a 90 degree dog leg ride. And they've Bill Bergen redesigned it or um, kind of renovated it probably probably 10 or 15 years ago. Now he's kind of all the rage in Atlanta right now. He just redid Druid Hills, I think as well. Everybody calls him ugly bugger, uh, uh, ugly bunker Bergen. Cause he's, he's got, um, he's really good for maintenance. He takes out, you know, the kind of the flash face bunkers and puts in, you know, the flat bottom bunkers and, and he'll take out a lot of bunkers and put in, you know, just, just grass runoff areas. Uh, but Dunwoody had bent greens when I was growing up and they've switched to, to the champion Bermuda. Um, so I think it plays probably four or five shots harder than it did when I was growing up, just cause you can't, 
you, know, you can't land it right by the pin. You can't go flag hunting. You got to actually, you know, play the slopes and play towards the front of the greens. Um, but, but by the same token, I think it's gotten easier for high handicaps as well. Cause it's easier to get out of the bunkers. There's not as many bunkers and it's, it's a lot easier to play the ground game. So, um, Dunwoody's definitely up there. Um, I can't stand Cherokee. I think Cherokee is like, that was our home course in, in, in uh, high school. It is, I've played there probably a hundred times. They have 36 holes. It's like late eighties, early nineties spas. And it is, I think they're redoing it too. I've, I've heard they're, they're redoing at least one of them. It's always in great shape, rolling Hills. Like you'd think you, you could do so much with it. I've played there a hundred times. I can't remember more than like one hole out there on, on, on the 36 holes. Is this where your, uh, your relationship with the Foz kind of took it to the next level? No, I never even realized it was a Foz. Like I didn't even know who the Foz was until 10, until, until after high school, you know what I mean? So like, while I was playing it, I just, it was just so unmemorable and like just generic, Wait. you know? <laughs> As I'm like, I'm still like a 10 handicap, 15 handicap when it comes to architecture. But when, when I saw your cheesecake, uh, comparisons to the Foz and I was going, we were playing, there's a lot of Foz everywhere, right? You can't not yeah. find the Foz. I was just like, man, that is the best take. Have you met the Foz? Because, yeah. I met him at the PGA show a couple years ago. Um, he, like, and like, I respect the hell out of him. He's just doing what, what the owners and what the developers want him to do. I, like I played world woods earlier this week for the first time and that place was awesome like i think he does he does good work it's just you know sometimes it just can be so uninspired or so um you know so just vanilla or bland where it's like the cheesecake factory where like you're gonna have a good meal like you know all the objective elements are there but it just lacks the soul a yeah, little that, bit you know it's all yeah yeah um i would say the i think the best probably my favorite course in all of atlanta um is setting down setting down is awesome yeah 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 so, yeah. so i like ansley's in town club um uh, you know kind of funky how they've got the nine greens and, and you know all the different tea boxes but but setting down their 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 out of town club is is as good as it gets we used to play there all the time i had a buddy actually a couple of buddies who whose parents were members there and, and uh between that and they have us open sectional qualifying there all the time and it's just it's just such a great golf course Bob, like bob cup one of his best designs um not very long there's there's you know there's tall grass kind of you know all along but it's it's super playable like it's not going to beat you up relatively small greens um the front nine out there is just so good yeah last thought for atlanta for you uh, on the golf scene it's you know to me you look at the list of, of architects in chicago that you know i have uh and you see a lot of old names, a lot of 1920s, you know, a lot of yeah. Ross, a lot of Langford, a lot of just all those guys. Um, and you look at Atlanta and you're, you see eighties and nineties, like you said, you know, a lot of cup, a lot of Bob cup and, and others. Yeah. And, Willard bird. Yeah. Yeah. There's just... Yeah. But, but I, I think it's interesting to me that like, we think golf course architecture will, you know, have more people in the game, but I can't think of a city that has more people in the game than Atlanta. Like everybody yeah. to me of, of, you know, friends that have moved there, they, they pick up game because of the other elements that the, the weather is perfect that, you know, it's just, a, it's a golf, a, a golf heavy town and um, you know, far more people are members of clubs in Atlanta. And, and so it's, yeah. 
what do you, what are your thoughts on like, how does, does the, those courses at the time they were built shape, you know, it doesn't seem to have hurt golf in Atlanta. You know, we all say it's like, Oh, golf in Atlanta could be so much better, but it doesn't seem to be hurting. So could it, you know, what, what's. Yeah, it's a good question. I mean, I think it's something where it's probably constraining the hell out of the game though, just because there's so, there's so few courses within the perimeter. And as people kind of move back into the city and young people want to play, like, you know, put that's like, it puts that much more stress on a place like Bobby Jones or North Fulton or um, where I think it's, it definitely, like, I think I know the initiation now at like capital cities, you know, hundred grand, 150 grand. It's like, that's, that's outrageous for the course that they have. Right. And um, so I think it's, you know, it's probably just, just constraining or just, just keeping the game kind of artificially small, um, especially for younger folks where, you know, most of the golf is out in the suburbs and, you know, it's probably, it's, it's not as walkable. Like, I mean, shit, you look at a place like Sugarloaf, which is, you know, like, I don't, I don't even think they let you walk there. I mean, like it's, you would, you would die. Cause there's, there's like a mile walk in between some of the holes, you know, and it's a fun golf course. I actually like Sugarloaf a lot. Um, after they did the, um, the redo, right. I've, I've yeah. heard that that was like incredible. Well done. Just really well. It was so penal yeah. from a Greg Norman design, just ass kicker all day. Yeah, They I, just I softened it. Yeah. There's some really, you know, there's some cool holes out there. Um, another one that I think like, I don't think it gets enough, recognition or you know it's not the best layout but i think it's feels like a classic design even though it's not as druid hills in atlanta um and that's that's just east of the city kind of between midtown and yeah yeah and um yeah that's good and then i think you know i'm critical of atlanta athletic club just because it's such a factory they have a couple thousand members and you know it's kind of like your kenwood country club in cincinnati or you know, probably akin to like Olympia fields in Chicago where, you know, big complex kind of impersonal just cause you have so many members and that's, that's kind of what it's all about. But at the same time um, it's like, I really, you know, I really like the Riverside course a lot, the Highlands where they have, you know, PGA or they're having the KPMG women's PGA there this year. Um, it's just, it's just too hard. Like it just beats the shit out of you all day. And you, know, you got a couple 200, 215 220 yard plus par threes coming in you got um just really really hard golf course riverside i know they're 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 going to redo that soon i think they're looking at some some up-and-coming architects to potentially do that so that would I, like that's a really really fun course um so you know all the all the atlanta athletic club folks because i know they've got a, a decent slew of young members there it's um you've got some good stuff out there. I just think it could be a lot better. So. Yeah. There, there's uh, our, our members who are also members at AAC tend to be in the scratch demographic or the low yeah. handicap group. I mean, they, uh, and that's what I've heard. It's a tough track. Yeah. Um, well that shift gears to, to no laying up a little bit, if you don't mind. Yeah. Uh, I actually don't know the answer to this, but where did Tron Carter originate? I have an idea, but I don't yeah. know. So well, it kind of goes back to like when we started this thing, we never really figured like we didn't start it thinking we were starting something, if that makes sense. It was just kind of a fun way. It was a text thread. It was a fun way to for Randy and Sally and I to keep in touch and, and talk golf when not a whole lot of our friends were, were big golfers. And so I think from there, it was a it's a 
Chappelle show character from uh, you know he's kind of a recurring character through some of the some of the different skits. So you've got the um, you know you've got one where like the 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 uh, mad real world one. You've got you've got another one where he's the world's richest man after they do reparations. Um, you know, so there's he pops up a few times during different seasons, but um, yeah, I just I don't know. I just always liked that character, and so some of my college buddies just started calling me Tron, and it just kind of stuck. And, I, uh, I, I didn't know. I, I knew Tron Carter from Chappelle's show, but the skit, I didn't know it was a recurring character. The skit yeah. I had in mind was where the, uh, the crack dealer gets treated like a white collar crime and the white collar oh, yeah. crime guy gets treated like the crack dealer. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That, and then, but you know, it just kind of goes to show you like, so, so really, even when we set up email addresses, like, so I'm Tron at knowlingup.com. Randy is big Randy at knowlingup.com. So he'll be, he'll be, you know, emailing back and forth with somebody's accounts payable department or, you know, some agent or somebody. And like, you know, it's Susie in the accounts payable department who has no idea who we are. And uh, hello, hello, big or hello, hello, Randy. And, you know, and his real name's Phil, you know, so it's just, <laughs> yeah. oh man. Uh, question submitted from a member. Uh, your office in Jacksonville is the kill house. How many people have been murdered there? Uh, and where are the bodies buried? So the kill house is a spin off of, uh, off of the Wright Thompson article about tiger woods, where he goes and trains with the Navy seals and they call their, you know, it's a shoot house or a kill house. It's kind of where they do like simulated, um, you know, ambushes or, you know, different training exercises, so we just always thought that was funny. Like, and, and really in that article, they always talk about all the seals just lighting tiger up with these rubber bullets or with blanks and everything like that. So we always just thought that was funny. So the kill house is just kind of where it all happens. But, um, but yeah, Neil, Neil's actually living there right now. Um, he and his fiance have been down here since, uh, God, almost a year now since, since players week last year from New York, they just figured, like no reason to go back to New York with COVID. So, um, yeah, so they've been living here. Solly and, and, and Randy lived there for um, about a year, year and a half when they first moved down here as well. So it's, it's, it's literally just a beach or a, uh, a, a house about a, mile, or a block from the beach. And, um, and yeah, like I, I have no idea what our neighbors think we do. They, they probably think we're running a porn company or something. <laughs> they got all this equipment. <laughs> yeah. We're always coming in and out of there with, with, you know, camera equipment. And yeah, it's just, it's just a bizarre scene. I'm sure for them. So the setup looks awesome though. You guys have clearly invested in the right gear. Um, yeah. dude, I want to touch on the quality of some of the uh, video production. You know, you guys, um, tourist sauce seems to be making strides. The, the new strap release that currently is in Tallahassee. It was quite artistic especially episode two uh yeah featuring neil you know shirtless neil to kick it off but uh what's i'm curious what's your favorite of the ones you've done uh, uh gosh that's like it's like asking me to pick a favorite kid um i do i'll do that later been, <laughs> it's been interesting um just because i think we started it the first season in Australia. We started it not even knowing what it was going to be or what it was going to look like. It wasn't even, we didn't even have a name for it or Zach just asked us if we wanted to go down to Australia. And we said, yeah. And we figured it was kind of figuring out a way to justify a trip to Australia. So 
Um, you know, that one, I think, I don't think that one's among the favorites just because we were so rushed. It was six or seven days. And by the time we weren't jet lagged anymore, it was time to go home. And, um, and, but I'm dying to go back there. Like it was such a fun trip, but you know, it was, it was a week too short at least. Um, Scotland still resonates a lot just cause you know, at that point we were still doing everything on, on cell phone. Well, so like that whole season is pretty much shot on an iPhone, which is, you know, so kind of seeing where we came from, from Australia and Scotland into the third season was the first one. That was the one we did in the RV out in California. And that was first one we really did on like cameras. Um, and then that one, it, it was so rainy and cold the whole way where that was kind of, that was kind of a tough scene. Um, Ireland was unbelievable. I think Ireland was up there with the favorite um, just because the weather we got and Mike, the driver and um, you know, hashtag Chad coming along with us and Tom Coyne coming along with us. That was, that was really, really cool. Um, especially going to Carn, going to uh, County Sligo. I can't recommend that place um, highly enough. That place is, it was like the best elements of, of Harry Colt and kind of what you would expect to find in England and in this far remote place in Northwest Ireland. And then the pine, the Pinehurst season, I think we, we, we really started to kind of take the, take the production up, um, had like a lot of best practices there. And then, um, and then, yeah, Oregon, we, we really, that was like finally having somebody, having an extra guy along with us in Ben allowed us to, to kind of be characters in the show more than having to worry about as much production or as much, you know, filming. Uh, but it's still very much like run and gun. We, we, we film it ourselves and we, you know, it's, it's, I think going along to cutting out, not doing as many 36 whole days and trying to stay in the same place, you know, more than one night is super helpful too. Like by the end of Ireland and by the end of Scotland, like we were completely fried. Um, so I think some of it is, you know, some of the quality comes back to the plan and, you know, not stretching ourselves too thin. Um, but yeah, we're, we're actually, we're planning season seven right now and it is, uh, I'm super, super, super excited. So we were, we were initially, so season six was supposed to be England. We're, we're going to do Northwest England, like, you know, Liverpool and, um, Birkdale and Lytham and all that, and then kind of go, go across kind of the Northern half of the country and then end up at, at uh, Royal West Norfolk, Brancaster, which is like, you can only go in and out of that club certain times of day because the tides come up. And uh, so we'll do that one in a future year, dying to do Japan at some point, but you know, not, not a good year to do it between Olympics and still COVID and everything. So want to get down to South America at some point, want to go do Scandinavia, um, want to go do like Northern Europe um, with, you know, like Belgium and, and the Netherlands and France and all that. And, uh, but yeah, they've, so, and then Western Canada to Diane to do like Canadian Rockies as well. So we've got one plan. It's, it's a domestic season. I think it's going to be our best one yet. Nice. So. Nice. Nothing in, you know, it used to be, I used to watch pro golf as a kid and want to go hit golf balls. That doesn't work for me anymore. I watch pro golf and I'm just like, I don't know. It's more of a fan mindset. But as soon as I, I watched a tourist sauce, 
I think of my own game and I, I want to go play golf. So keep, yeah. keep those coming. Cause it keeps awesome. Me. Well, thanks. That's the, that's the ultimate compliment. So thank you. Um, the first conversation I ever had with you was Scotland actually. And, and uh, that one of the ringers at Dormy, I think. And um, that's probably a whole nother pot. I can't, if I go down that path, you know, yeah. I, I've, I've, that's another well-researched and I've been multiple times. I, I got a lot of questions for you on that, but I'll wait, I'll wait for whatever next international season we have. Yeah. I mean, and we've, we've got some good stuff coming out here soon with uh, Jim Hartzell, who um, uh, I'm not sure if he's a new club member. He's, I he's, he's I know one of the first just, ambassadors we ever had. Okay. I was going to say, I know he's a, I know he's at least a friend of the program, but yeah, he, um, he's, he's kind of helping us uncover some, some pretty cool places over in Scotland as far as, you know, um, Donaverti or Caradell or, you know, some of those places I haven't even been to him yet. So he's got such a passion for those, but yeah, I've, uh, I'm dying to get back over there, man. It's like, I was supposed to, you know, supposed to go over in in April of last year and I was going to do, you know, a whole nother week over there by myself, just kind of, from the country and and but yeah i mean a lot like the site so i'd never been there and then we did the tourist sauce was the first trip and then i went back over with, with zach blair for the dunhill when he played and took him up to the highlands and played you know brora and dornick and nairn and then we stopped at like boat of garden on the way and pit lockery and there's there's just so many courses like outside of the king's barns and the castle stewarts and you know the the dornicks where if you don't play those, you know, quote unquote, second or third or fourth tier courses, I don't think you're really getting the full experience. You know, you don't have the context. So it's, you know, it's so challenging. I'm having the struggle of the trips that we've planned that, um, you know, when people maybe only make it once in a lifetime, you know, how do you tell somebody yeah. that, Hey, today we're, we're not going to, you know, hit whatever the bucket list at Carnoustie, you know, we're going to go yeah. the course down the street, but it's, it's, either a longer trip or you got to make time to go back. Yeah. And you can't, I think the biggest thing too, is like, don't try to do more than like two regions. Like if you, if you go like, you know, it's tough to, to say, all right, like everybody wants to do um, Fife and then everybody wants to do the Highlands. Everybody wants to go play North Berwick and, you know, and some of the stuff down in East Lothian, but then you've got, you know, and then go play St. Andrews, but then, all right, just Cruden Bay, like, then you probably have to cut Cruden Bay or, you know, it's just, it's kind of a matter of like, when you, when you try to stretch yourself too thin, cause it's, I think everything looks cl- relatively close on the map, but then you realize like, A, you're driving on the left side of the road, B, the speed limit on these roads isn't, you know, you're not traveling on interstates, right? Get Mike, we know that driver. <laughs> yeah. It's slow going. And, um, and then, yeah. And then C, like, you're just, you know, you're walking, you know, a lot of times you're, you're playing 36, but it's dig, dig deeper into the regions that you go to. And then if it's truly a bucket list trip for you, like I guarantee you, if you, if you do it the right way, you're going to want to come back and do it again. So just kind of accept that, you know? So you guys always have the logistics by the TC way. So, you know, yeah. I think we're getting, I think we're getting a flavor of what the TC way actually is. Can you describe the TC way in, in less than five words? Well, it's, it's kind of evolved because those guys, you know, those have been, I'm the one that's probably always trying to stretch us thin. Cause I want to go, my, my eyes get really big and I want to go do so much stuff. Um, so like, the, I think the itinerary that we did in Scotland was 
was certifiably insane. Um, yeah. Just cause, I, I'll, I'll I say mean, yes. We, we were weary by, you know, by the end of it. Um, but you know, it's, it's more or less, it's trying to, trying to seek out local stuff, trying to, you know, trying to go to, um, you know, locally run hotels or bed and breakfast, trying to go to, um, you know, local restaurants, go to, go places where locals go. Right. And, and try to make it a reflection of, of the destination and not just what happened to be the easiest thing, you know, or the thing that was, that was just along our path, like seeking out, you know, cool, interesting, unique stuff. Um, you know, I think for future seasons, we're really excited about doing, doing more off course stuff too. It seems like people are really into that and kind of, you know, I think making it to where it's, it's, a, it's a kind of a travel show golf's the golf's the through line, but not necessarily like golf centric. Right. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think, you know, TCY, yeah, just, just like going back to, you know, I'm kind of a foodie. So, you know, I want to, I want to experience the best of, you know, whether it's in Scotland going to a distillery or like, which we didn't have time for because we were playing so much damn golf or, you know, out in Oregon, like it was tough, but like going to, you know, going to different breweries or that sort of thing too. I think that's a, that's a cool, cool wrinkle and, and, um, you know, it's something we can kind of, kind of grow upon. Nice. Uh, pro golf, let's get into some things. If, if people want all your takes, there's, there's other pods for that. So I don't want to go do yeah. too much of it, but, um, let's do some, some hypotheticals. All right. So, uh, fast forward a few years in the USGA who just tapped Mike Wan as their yeah. uh, new fearless leader. Uh, what, what if they, um, changed paths and went with Tron Carter as the USGA's CEO, what would, uh, what would he do to, uh, keep things moving? Uh, I would, I would be, a, I'm pretty aggressively rollback. So, um, which I have some, cons- you know, the, my, when, uh, Juan stepped down from LPGA, that was my first thought. I was like, he's gotta be going to USGA. Like this is, it's, it makes too much sense. Um, you know, I like Mike a lot. I think he's a, outstanding leader outstanding just communicator which i think is what the usga needs um you know just because their branding and their communication just has been so cluttered over the last 10 15 years um but so so hopefully this aligns with some of what he's doing i think i can't tell if it's a good thing or a bad thing that he's that he's so tight with the equipment industry you know coming having worked for taylor made prior um in chicago yeah. And just being, you know, kind of a, you know, um, I know he's a marketing and branding guy at heart, like worked for Procter and Gamble for a while as well. So you know, I think that's probably where that comes from, but I think, you know, I, I imagine he knows also like what the, the message is reflective of the USGA and not necessarily like LPGA wise, they, you know, they didn't have a massive, uh, distance issue and that was actually what allowed them to kind of slide into some of these some of these great great golf courses that that they've been adding to the schedule so i think if anything that that should give him kind of license to you know to say hey like let's you know we're we're kind of moving from some of these special places in golf to places that are almost purpose-built for professional golf um you know but he's got a mandate as well to not lose sight of the amateur golfer and everything like that i just think i think telling the biggest thing that I would do would be to kind of get through to the amateur golfer. Like, Hey, like we're not taking your guns away from you. Like it's, a, <laughs> it's like DJ, kind of, you know, it's kind of like that, that like political thing where it's like, nobody's like coming in, like telling me you can't do this, but like, 
there's a problem in this area of the game and we need to fix it, you know? Um, so I think that's, that's, it's just very different stakeholders and, and, you know, I don't envy his, his role at all, but, um, but I would definitely like, you know, kind of go back to, to what they outlined all this stuff in like 2003, you know, and, and PJ tour said that they were on board for supporting this stuff. And so some of it's just like, going and actually doing and, and testing for some of the stuff that they said they were going to do. Um, you know, it's not, it's not reinventing the wheel. It's like going back and just actually doing the stuff that you laid out. Yeah. So. All right. Since you, you, you uh, made the comparison to, you know, political, I'm going to treat you like a politician on this one. Uh, yeah. Let's say same scenario, but CBS hires you to be in charge of production. Oh, uh, I don't, I don't want you to state your platform, John. What is your platform for, for CBS coverage? So first and foremost, I give CBS a lot of credit um, because I think, you know, getting rid of Lance Barrow, and I know that I know the tour kind of forced them into that, uh, you know, kind of sending him off into retirement, I think was, was a great thing. And I think seller shy has done a, we've seen some, some positives from the last, you know, from, from their first few appearances, just with via the drone work, the, the telecast seems like it has more of a flow. They're, they're showing, more golf shots here and there. Is it perfect or even close to perfect? No, no way. And uh, you know, I don't think we're getting there anytime soon, but a lot of that is so structural with the tour and how the, you know, like, it's just funny to me that they, my first thing for CBS would be like, don't like, don't bid on this. If you're not going to view it as almost a lost leader where um, they were kind of crying poor and saying, Hey, we've got to make all these commercials and, and, you know, do all these integrations and we're losing money hand over fist. And that was on the current TV deal that runs out this year and the new one starts and they're paying twice as much starting next year. So it's like, you, you can't cry poor and then, you know, and then double the rights fee, you know? Um, so I think that's some of it. I think some of it is, is treating the, you know, catering more to the core fan where, in most other sports, like whether it's like Formula One's a good example. I've gotten, I don't know shit about auto racing, but via Drive to Survive and just watching races over the last two or three years, like, you know, I've gotten into it, but nobody spoon fed that to me. Or maybe, maybe Drive to Survive spoon fed that to me, but on the, on the race, you know, on the broadcast, they're catering to the, the hardcore fan and treat, you know, and treating the audience like it's, it's filled up with those people and, you know, raising the lowest common denominator there. And, and, and so the onus is on the viewer to educate themselves and, you know, and you do that through watching and talking to people and getting deeper in the game. Whereas I feel like CBS and the tour at large are constantly going the opposite direction. They're, they're taking it to the lowest common denominator, whether it's, you know, it's stuff as lazy as just repeating the same two or three talking points about a player where, Max Homa, he's active on Twitter, da, 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 da. Or, you know, when, when Max has been less active on Twitter <laughs> over the last six to nine months, you know, um, we're just, just going beyond the surface level stuff and actually, actually making an effort to show, you know, Hey, this guy's on the bubble here. Like on Fridays, for instance, I know this isn't CBS, but it's still their producers in the, in, in the truck. How is there not something where there's a, there's like a red zone channel for guys on the cut? Like there, there, there should absolutely be a feed. Like I would watch that. I know a bunch of people because that's the game within the game, you know, guys trying to get to the weekend that are 
135th on the FedEx Cup rankings. Like, that's the ironic part, too. If you want to make the FedEx Cup mean something, then, like, I think it means more in that 100 to 150 range than it does in the 50 to 75 range. So, you know, cover that more and lean more into that. Yeah. And that lets, that lets you grab a hold of these guys that don't have as much notoriety, right? So you don't have to rely as much on a a Phil or a tiger or whoever else. Totally. Yeah. I think also just, you know, notice it a little bit since like since colonial or Harbor town last year was less, less towers, uh, less camera shots looking down more ground level stuff to actually see the contours and the, and the um, you know, just what the, what the player is seeing, you know, like more, more of a minimalist broadcast with, you know, more caddy player convo, more golf shots, just like I watch European tour golf all the time and it's so uncluttered and so clean and they just show a shitload of golf and they show it from ground level with handheld cameras. And it's, you know, it's like less is more kind of thing. It, it, I'll actually draw the comparison to the tour sauce. And when you guys were uh, abandoned and there was a little bit of the steady cam walking, you know, player with it's not yeah. an iPhone. So it's, it's still, but you, you actually, as that, that camera moves, you're able to see a, a slope. That, that I'm yeah, like, oh, or, yeah I, mean, I remember that's a massive hump in the yeah. middle of that green, you know, and that stuff gets so washed out when you're constantly using the towers from behind the greens and you're looking straight down with that camera. Um, like I, I mean, I, I had such a better appreciation, I'm not a huge fan of Tory Pines. Um, I had such a better appreciation for it this year with some of the shots that they had, and there were so many more open vistas and, and shots looking across the golf course, um, you know, and then. Uh, I think also just, just, you know, on the CBS front too, I think I like Colt Nost. I think he does a good job, you know, getting, getting some, getting some new blood in there is, yeah. is of the utmost importance. So, um, fun you know, fact. we'll see, I think they're on the right track. Fun, fun fact on Colt, yours truly. And I, or me and Colt had the same swing coach growing up. Oh yeah. Out of Ohio. I don't know what, what, what he was telling Colt that he wasn't telling me, but man, I mean, <laughs> that would have helped. Yeah. Uh, I want to talk about your game a little bit. Uh, yeah. and we always, we always round out with a new segment I'm calling the, the 19th soul, 18 questions to, re, uh, reveal the soul of the golfer. So I'll do that with you. We're going to do it for all of our guests this year. Um, okay. but, uh, after dominating the game as a right-hander, you just said, all right, I got to go lefty. We played Jack's beach last January. And I think, um, you, were you still with last January? Were you already a lefty? No, I started last June. Last I started, uh, yeah, like, um, actually really started like late, late May, but, but kind of committed to it, you know, early June last year. So where are we at in the process and what's the commitment? Um, yeah, we've kind of still making progress. Um, have not played any right-handed. Um, I, I hit a couple shots on a simulator a couple weeks ago, right-handed just to, I was helping Neil out with like getting him fit for some of the new stuff. And I just wanted to see how a shaft reacted. But, um, but yeah, playing lefty exclusively, um, you know, it's fits and starts. I think for the first three or four months, I made really steady progress, didn't practice at all. And just like when, when I went out to play, it just constantly improved. Shot 84 at the sheep branch and kind of, you know, I think it was, it was um, once I figured out the driver and started driving the ball better, that was really the key. Um, got the driver sorted. The chipping and putting is better than it's ever been righty. 
Um, at least the lag putting, I'm still struggling a little bit like inside of 10 feet just because alignment's tough. Um, but the lag putting is like, I, don't, I think when I go back right-handed, I'm still going to chip and putt lefty. Um, and, it. you know, as far as like, you know, the distance is starting to come, the irons are still really inconsistent. So that's really what I'm, I'm working on now. I've been working with Nico and Kevin, golf with Brent, um, trying to just kind of get that stuff dialed. Um, it's, and it's just, it's just reps, I think. Um, but yeah, it's really just a matter of, I think it's going to, it's definitely going to help me out as a right-handed golfer long-term because it's kind of balancing my body out. Of course, management's going to be better. Expectations will be more, more reasonable where, you know, part of the reason I going back to like, you know, earlier in our conversation, part of the reason I quit playing golf after college, there was just, you know, between the Atlanta golf scene and also just, just, you know, having been down like a scratch golfer and then not being able to hit the shots that I, you know, grew up and, and thought I could still hit. That was super frustrating. So, um, you know, and I, I kind of got to that point righty, you know, few years, like three years ago. And I said, all right, like I'm, I'm tired of playing bad golf. I am going to, you know, fix my distance control and like really realize my distance control. And then I did that and like dropped the handicap from a six to a two uh, in 2019, I think. And then 2020, just having Freddie and all like, you know, having kids and all that kind of got me back into some bad habits, but I'm, I'm super stoked to like, you know, a finish this out lefty and finish it out strong and goals to break 80. Uh, I want to break 80 from, from both sides on the same day. And then B, um, you know, just to, just to kind of, I want to get the handicap under 10 lefty. So the thing that when I, when you, cause I played with you, I mean, well, I guess it was January. So you had a couple more months of golf, but you played like great the day that we, we played together. I think you only could play nine, but um, when I heard that, I was like, man, cause you're a competitive guy, Tron. Like I, yeah. I know, I know I could, I could get that sense. Like I grew up hyper competitive. That was kind of instilled in me too. So golf, we all know it can be a very ego driven sport. And so I just commended you for doing it, man, because you got to really, you know, to take that leap and go to the other side of the ball you got to drop the yeah, ego and you did it. I knew, I knew going in, like I had to totally commit, right. I couldn't be wishy-washy about it or, Hey, I'm going to play lefty today, but and then I'm going to play righty for a week or so. And so, and then getting, getting past the point of like first couple of times I went out being like, you know, Oh, like I'm, I'm really not this bad. I'm just, you know, I'm a righty, but I'm playing lefty today. It's kind of like the happy Gilmore, like I'm a hockey player, but I'm playing golf today. Kind <laughs> yeah. of thing. And it was like, kind of getting away from that even and just totally leaning into like, yo, this is who I am as a golfer right now. And like, I'm a 16 handicap, I'm like 19 handicap, you know, and, and, and not telling people that I'm a righty that like, you know, and, and it's, it's been interesting too, to, to kind of be able to marry up, um, you know, knowing how to play golf with relearning the actual hard skills of playing golf. Yeah. So. It, it'll make you, you know, and, and you guys, you know, so many variety of golfers follow what you do. I'd imagine it just is going to, uh, you know, your brain space for that, for that almost empathy in a way yeah. of like, all right, I, I get what these, you know, what they're going through. I, totally. Cause it's hard yeah, to remember. No, it's noticed, hard to remember if you've played your whole life. I've noticed. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. It's definitely made me more empathetic on that end and, and, and more keen to certain architectural stuff too, where, um, like I was playing world woods the other day and there's all sorts of deception right off the tee where they, I never would have even noticed right-handed where, you know, a little, bunkers a hundred yards off the tee or little dips where you, know, you can't see your landing area and that would never bother me right-handed and it messes with me so much lefty so <laughs> yeah. 
I, I was going to eat something you said just now about playing lefty and uh, I'm going to combine it with what you said about Atlantic golf. You know, it's funny to me that I think this is the answer of why course architecture is so important is um, a lot of the folks that grew up in Atlanta on those courses that uh, probably make it more one dimensional of score, right? There's less mm -hmm. factors you can, you can bring in. So it's, it's, what is golf about then? It's about score. It's about yeah. you know, shooting the Metal best play. number metal yeah. play getting better yeah. and and those courses that were built for developments or what have you lend themselves more to score and and i noticed yeah. that kid guys that grew up guys and gals that grew up on those courses actually are better golfers in if you look at their handicaps later in life but if you go to yeah. let's just go to the extreme example of scotland everybody plays less percentage of people get to you know scratch and, and below or whatever but they they look at golf not as score they look at golf as match play they look at shot golf making as... and imagination yeah yeah it's in, in grinding like knowing how to build around and knowing how to you know how to what the situation calls for and not just the stock shot yeah so yeah that's yeah. uh so. let me ask you this you grew up playing at dunwoody i was a country club kid um what are you gonna do for your kids do you want to have like a, a country club lifestyle or are they going to be you know, yeah, it's interesting because I think like, you know, not only golf, but like tennis, played a lot of tennis growing up, Neil and I, and, um, and, and like actually going back to Atlanta, that's, that's a big, that's a big Atlanta thing. Alta um, is like a massive, it's, I think it's the biggest kind of tennis, yeah. you know, organization in this, in, in, in the whole country. And like we won the city, this, the city finals a few times, our team, um, and, and it was something where like, it was a perfect competitive thing. So, yeah, I don't know, like with, 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 um, Freddie, my wife works at Ponte Vigian and club. So, so we have a membership there. So, you know, no doubt he'll probably take some golf camps or tennis camps and, you know, kind of see what's up and see if he really likes it. I try to take him out to Jack's beach these days. Um, I can put a putter in his hand. I can put a driver in his hand. I can put a seven iron in his hand and, he just tries to hit it as hard as he possibly can. Like he'll, he'll take a driver's swing with the putter. He refuses to like actually putt. So, um, you know, little hard headed right now, probably a little bit early in the game. He just turned four, but um, like he loves playing. Him. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He loves playing golf out in the, you know, out in the, in, in the driveway or the front yard. But when I take him to the course, he doesn't really click yet. Yeah. So yeah, it's, it's something I've, I've thought of too. Cause I don't know where we'll be living wise, but, uh, you know, the little ones, it's it, that access to, you know, golf, uh, you gotta have the course, you gotta have, you know, facilities and, and tennis is, is great. It, you can play all the team sports you want, but those two, they, they're there for a reason. You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, no, it was, it was definitely, um, I'm trying to get back into playing tennis now. Just, it's like the best workout you can possibly get. And, you know, especially down here on the clay course and, uh, but yeah, it's just, it's just kind of like, you know, like I, I'm not, I'm not good about going and working out, but, but if it's going and playing tennis for an hour and a half, like I can get psyched <laughs> up about that. You know? Yeah. You got to chase a ball. I I'm the same way. Yeah. Same way. Yeah. All right. Well, let's round out on this last uh, piece here. I've adapted yeah. 35 questions from Marcel Proust, the French novelist. Oh my uh, gosh. And one of the most influential authors of the 20th century. Uh, his questions were trying to reveal the truest nature of, of a human being. Our questions. I, I used to love his uh, in Vanity Fair, the uh, 
the uh, questionnaire they did at the end. Yeah, I've I've got that coffee table book on my coffee table. It's right great, now. right? And I, yeah. I I I read it over the like Christmas. I'm like, you know what? This is there's something here. So I I just adapted them a little bit. I brought it down to 18 because I don't want to okay. you know take all day. Brought it down to 18 and made it about golf. So okay. you know we're not going to dive any more into the personal life yet. We're gonna we're gonna try to get to the soul of Tron Carter, the golfer, or Todd Schuster, should I say? Uh. So Tron, Todd, are you ready? Yes. Number one, when were you the happiest as a golfer? Uh, I would say the first round I played on the old course. Um, played, I got, you know, we did the ballot that day, got matched up with a father and his two sons and um, I don't know. It was, just, it was almost like a solo experience, you know, the rest of the group, like we were all matched up with, with people throughout the morning and I, I played well. I got shot 76. I, I birdied, I, uh, I got up and down on, on the road hole and then I birdied 18. I made like a 12 foot pot on 18 for birdie and, I was, and then went to the jigger in afterwards for a bunch of beers and it was just like one of the best days of my life. So good day. that, yeah. Uh, these are intended to be short answer, by the way, Tron, you don't have to give me the, <laughs> <laughs> uh, number two, what's the scariest golf shot? Uh, a three, when I'm playing right-handed, a three foot left to right slider. <laughs> Like putt. Number three, what is your go-to order at the halfway house? Um, big soup guy. Love, love soup. Never gotten soup. Any particular soup? Uh, New England clam chowder. At the turn. Big fan. They, yeah, yeah. At Dunwoody, they always had that. It was, it was fantastic. Love that. I'm not a big breakfast guy, so it would just fill me up. Yep. Number four, what is the trait you most deplore in your golf game? Um, my chipping. Right-handed or left-handed or equal? Right, yeah, 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 righty. Yeah, and and and, and going back to the uh, to the halfway house question. No mulligans. Cup, like a, no mulligans. A cup of tuna salad too. I always get a cup of oh, tuna salad. Yeah, yeah. Have it. That's that's clutch. Number five, what is the quality you most look for in a playing partner? Um, say like self-awareness, having the ability to, you know, kind of feel out the, like there's a time to say something, there's a time not to say something. I'm someone I really like, I recharge on the golf course. I'm kind of an introvert by nature. So I don't want to talk to you every step of every hole like you know there's some there's some holes i want to go off and just you know kind of kind of go recharge be in my own thoughts and then i'll you know kind of ease in and out of of conversation as the round goes along that's a really good answer what words or phrases do you most overuse on the golf course sick <laughs> i say that way too much um yeah that's probably the one sick and then just just um, just telling myself I stink. I do a lot of, I do a lot of negative self-talk to kind of pump myself up. 
So I, I notice yeah. if I'm watching too much tourist sauce or any of your guys things, I do start using sick a lot more. I start you guys, you guys have quite a number of them. Yeah. Yeah. They, they rotate. Yeah. Though. And then they, they change. Yeah. And then if, if I'm playing with Neil, anytime he ever goes left, I just yell, Icarito. Like that's, <laughs> that's, that's one that comes out two or three times around. That's more of a reflex. <laughs> yeah. Number eight, what golfing talent do you most wish you have? You had. Um, I've worked on it. I'm still not there. So I think I still don't have it. The ability to, to take the truly take it shot by shot and truly stay in the moment. That's a big one. Number nine, what is your most treasured golf possession? Probably my, my high school golf bag. Um, we won the state championship my, my junior year. And then uh, we were runner up my sophomore year. But I don't know. I just, I've, got my, I've got my high school golf bag, Maris War Eagles, Ping Hoofer 2. Uh, the best. Just sitting there in my office. And, and yeah, it's got all of our you know, state championship years on there and everything. What kind of shape is it in? Is it a little beat up at this point? Yeah, it's, it's, I think the stand is broken and, and, you know, it's probably got just old, old sunflower seeds in the bottom of it and all sorts of stuff. So oh, that's a, that's a great question to our next question or transition to our next question. What is the one thing in your golf bag you need to throw out? Chapstick. I never, I, it's, it's always in there and I, and I never use it on the golf course. I don't know why it's in there. And it melts, you know. Yeah. If it's yeah, not, and like you leave it. the one time you do want to use it, it's it's not usable anymore. Yeah, and it's so. got like if it's like mine and in, in my bag, I know it gets like little grades of sand and grass yeah. on the edge. You're not yeah, it's sure. a it's a magnet for any any sort of grit or grime. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but the best uh, plug for you guys are at Bandon, and you know I don't know if they do this at Bandon. They do it at Sand Valley, but the little golf ball ones that are like circular. Yeah, that's some innovation. That stuff actually is pretty good to have in the bag. Uh, number eleven. What is your favorite occupation at the golf course? Like of the people working at the golf yeah. course. What's your favorite occupation? Superintendent. It's it's an important one. Number twelve. Have you ever asked another golfer for their autograph? Uh. Like when I was young, I mean, yeah, like when I was young, like I, I volunteered at the PGA championship when it was at Atlanta Athletic Club. First time, I think it was 2001, David Toms won. And, um, you know, I was in ninth grade, I think. And, uh, you know, I think I got everybody's autograph, <laughs> except for, I think everybody's autograph, except for Tiger that week, um, all on a flag. Um, that was, that was the week that Shingo Katayama was, was like the, you know, it was like his, his, uh, entrance onto the stage. And, and he got him on the same flag. Yeah. I think, yeah, yeah, I did. Tiger. Did you ask tiger? Were you in line for tiger? Uh, yeah. You know what? It was, it wasn't even be worth it. It's, you know, he was signing three autographs a day and, and, you know, just too much of a pain. I've never been a huge autograph person. Just, you know, it, it's, um, it's just never really done it for me. I'd rather just go, talk to that person for a minute or two or even even, even when, grab a picture yeah. yeah even when i was a kid and you know, i worked at the uh nec bridgestone invitation akron i used to do it because all the other kids are doing it and and when i get to the player because i i was like you know big fan i always regretted it 
<laughs> instantly yeah. I'd be like, I, I, can, can you just do this? And can I, I'd rather watch you chip, you know? <laughs> yeah. It was funny. I was playing the, um, playing the BNW cherry pro-am one year and it was Chess and Hadley and our partners. And then Chipper Jones was, was in our group. So we played like three days with Chipper and Chesson and Chipper's pro AJ. And, uh, and at the, the uh, very last day, we get done. We we're playing at Furman Golf Club on the last day, and and Chesson hands me a, like a signed Chipper Jones baseball, and he's like, and I'm, you know, like I never would have thought to ask Chipper for an autograph, but Chesson, who's also a pro athlete, went right up to him after the fact and was like, "Hey man, can you sign these baseballs for me?" Kind of so <laughs> that's cool. That's that's pretty cool. And as a obviously a Braves fan growing up, that's that's yeah. a big one to have on the shelf. Um, number 13, what historical golf figure do you most relate to? Hmm. Um, good question. I really like one of my favorite players ever is Calvin Pete. Um, just super like, so growing up, I was always not, I, I didn't miss fairways and like playing right-handed. I still I just don't miss fairways. And, you know, irons can be streaky, but I think just with him, it's like, he was, he's, he was such a great ball striker and, uh, and consistent, you know, and, and then it was just some of the putting other stuff that held him back. Like, I wish I could go, go back, you know, going back to your, your point about people that, you know, grew up in Atlanta and hitting kind of stock shots and everything. I wish I could go back and like, if I could putt, you know, really putt and manage the course, then like I do now I would have been I would have been playing in college or I would have been so much better like you know I remember Neil and my dad coming out to high school events and like I would you know I would hit 16 greens and shoot like 74 you know just miss 10 footer after 10 footer after 10 footer and and really to the point where like Neil and my dad would just like walk off the course because they were they were so frustrated watching me (laughs) Man, I can I can relate to way too much to that one. Um, number fourteen. What is your greatest golf re- regret? Um, I think you might have just said it. <laughs> no, well, so specific one. I uh, state championship my junior year. It was up at the Orchard in you know Northeast Georgia, kind of uh, up nine eighty five, um, and it was so windy. It was like we had. 35 40 mile an hour winds that day really clear blue sky day but like crazy wind like to the point where i'm hitting a four iron 135 yards um and i ended up i shot 76 that day which was like third third or fourth lowest score of the day like our number one player who in the practice rounds he shot 64 66 shot 73 or 74 and that was like tied for medalist or whatever so we end up going to a playoff for I think our team shot like 308, which in previous years we'd won state championship at, you know, 284, 278, that sort of thing. And um, we go to a playoff and I'm off last in the playoff. And I'd seen a couple of my teammates, like one of them sprayed three balls down the left. There's OB down the left. And then a couple of them went right. And, you know, and it was, it was play six count four on, uh, on the scorecard. So I, um, it was a par five. So I ended up hitting a great shot down. I, I three putted that green. It was my first, first hole of the day, three putted that green. Uh, the first go around 
hit it to like four feet um, and, you know, had that putt that I was talking about earlier, that like four foot left to right slider that I had missed by a mile earlier, same, same putt. And I get up and just totally wipe it and then tap in for par. And um, I don't know. I just always think of that as like, man, like, um, you know, I could have been a killer right there. So one of my teammates comes up to me who had made like a 30 footer on, on the, on the 18th hole to send it to a playoff. Um, He comes up to me on that green and, and he puts his arm around me and he said, man, we lost by one. And I was like, Oh my God. And then he let it go for like 25, 30 seconds. And he goes, I'm just kidding. We won by three, (laughs) (laughs) but like, I'll never forget that. Whereas like I gave him the opportunity to do that because I missed that. That feeling, that That feeling, you know, would have been like the exclamation point birdie in the playoff. I think a lot of guys listening right now are like, have that haunting moment. You know, that you just yeah. can't shake. Those regrets stick with it. It was almost like predestined, right? Or like I like I I, I had already used like the I had already mentally missed the putt in my <laughs> the, head, you know. The, the big range. Instead of just committing to a line and and you know, so rounding rounding out with some uh architecture. What is your favorite hole in golf? What's your favorite the road hole? hole? The road hole. Yeah, yeah. It's like I remember the first time I saw it, I was like, Oh yeah, like this is clearly the coolest thing i've ever seen and like if 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 anybody if anybody tried to do this today like they would be they would be laughed off the course yeah that's a good answer what's your least favorite home golf number five at dunwoody country club <laughs> yeah, i was gonna ask we going back to number five at dunwoody country club <laughs> yeah. um number 17 you uh if you one song to listen to on the golf course for the rest of your life what is it hmm uh i was like listening to kind of blues and and um i'm a big stevie ray vaughn fan so i would say texas flood by stevie ray vaughn nice and you do listen to music on the golf course i do yeah i mean i don't i don't necessarily i'm not normally the one with the speaker but if, if somebody asks me like i i kind of prefer to as long as it's good music right like that's kind of my that, that's my stock response i mean when when somebody like uh, hey do you like do you mind if I play some music I said I don't mind as long as it's good music you yeah, know um but but yeah I'm not normally the one with the speaker but I'm always I'm always down for it and you and you 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 do always strike me as a person you would tell them if it wasn't good music yeah just like hey man can we can we yeah, can we kind of change it up here a little yeah. too I, my my thing is when it gets a little too uh, uh, harsh and aggressive I just need tempo I just whatever exactly. whatever you put on I gotta have a rhythm and a tempo and I'm good yeah. I don't care if it's country. Yeah, and it's got to be rel- yeah, relatively positive and yeah, relatively um, smooth. It can't be too too herky jerk. Yeah, yeah. it's got to be like there's got to be a melody and a rhythm there. But I know you guys are big Metallica fans, so if someone throws Metallica on, for me never, it's a no. I've never been in that instance where somebody's somebody stepped out and thrown Metallica on. So. Next time, next time I'm with you. I'll, I'll cross that bridge when I get to it. Yeah. Last question, number eighteen. If you had a motto, what would it be? Uh, I would say use your best judgment. Don't be a scumbag. Use your best judgment. Don't be a scumbag. Tron, that was fun, man. Thank you for going through that. Uh, we will, uh, release the results of your soul when we have them. <laughs> um, yeah. that was your, I will say your answers. You can tell that 
Todd Schuster is a soulful golfer from those responses. Thank you. Thank you. Have, you you yeah. have a very deep relationship with the game of golf. I do. I think I, I find it too that like when I when I go out and play and I'm not, you know, I'm in a I'm in a bad head state. Just I'm in a bad mood because of something that happened at work or got into an argument with my wife. Like I don't play well. Like I'm very much, you know, what I how I feel and what's going on in my life very much affects golf. And I think that's some that's that's one of the reasons why like you know, post-college, like, you know, I would go out and play and, and, um, it didn't necessarily feel like an escape, if that makes sense. Whereas like, I could go out and go fly fishing and like not think about anything for eight to 10 hours. So, um, but on the flip side, like, you know, and I think the lefty things helped out with this too. I'm pretty good about not letting how I play affect how I feel too on the flip side. So. I think we all, we all need some of that as, fellow yeah. golfers there's nobody yeah. that doesn't well uh, going back to what two two things for you to going back to like favorite yeah. atlanta memories um i would say post-college just going so we used to go to the sweetwater brewery like every you know every thursday friday for happy hour after work and go listen to live music out there like that was like our local brewery and now they're kind of you know nationwide and everything yeah. um but that was always awesome and then I, we did a podcast for uh, tour championship last year before tour championship with Spencer Hall from um, every day should be Saturday. And he did like the, the quintessential ranking of Atlanta rappers on that nice. too. So I just kept thinking back to that and I'm like, Oh, we got to Like, got to shout that out. So I, I'm going to, that's a, that's a uh, show notes link. I think they call that. Um, yeah. I'll put that in there and, uh, Todd, I don't, I don't want to keep you too much, man. Thank you for taking time. What, what do we got coming up? I mean, you can't probably talk about next tour saw season too much, but what else, what else we got in the hopper? Yeah, we got, um, DJ and Randy are going down to Orlando next week to cover the LPGA event. They've got a cool, cool video project that they're working on next week. Um, I'm kind of just trying to, I went down to world woods this week and, uh, Innisbrook with Neil just trying to get some more crash courses we, we're we're trying to come out with a bang in april on those both pods and videos um and then yeah events just trying to get our events schedule going you know um but but really the biggest the coolest thing about 2020 one of the positives was like it seemed like everybody instead of it being a centralized kind of you know thing where we had to organize stuff it ended up being so many different people from around the country organizing meetups and and you know just meeting people in their area um and i think that was you know seeing that stuff kind of keep going into 2021 has been really cool well that's uh any any timeline for you guys to release events right now or i still kind of we've uh... got we've got a schedule up on our uh, up on the refuge um big ones i'm working on like we're gonna do one at northland up in um uh, up in duluth minnesota um uh, working on one in gearheart out in Oregon um we're working on one in Denver and then um and then yeah kind of everything feeding into our thing here at Jack's Beach as well cool, man. so yeah cool. uh, well yeah we'll we'll uh hopefully see you this upcoming year it'll be a little different than last year and um keep rocking man you guys are doing great stuff thanks you guys too it's awesome to see uh I love the Love seeing you guys spread into Atlanta. That's that's been that's been awesome. To we're see. creeping closer to you. It. We're creeping yeah. closer. <laughs> no, love it. Bring it on, man. 
like like all boats rise kind of thing you guys that's are, right you guys are doing doing such good good stuff for the game and and it's it's just it's just fun to see like the you know it's not just growing the game it's like growing the game the right way and connecting connecting golf enthusiasts kind of so I, I, I learned pretty quickly. You guys have been one of the big example setters is that, you know, that that's what it needs. And when you're working on stuff that people are passionate about too, it's not, it's not about dollars in the end. It's really about, you know, making, making things go and making a bunch of people happy. And you guys yeah. are, are doing that with, with all the stuff you guys are touching on. So cool. Thank you. Thanks bro. I'll, uh, we'll be chatting with you soon. Thanks so much for listening to the show this week. If you are not a subscriber, please do subscribe wherever you listen to your podcasts. If you want to follow us on Twitter or Instagram, we're at New Club Golf. This episode was produced by Mark Caldwell with research assistance by Jim Sitar. The backdrop is supported by members of New Club Golf Society and our official partners. Golf Blueprint is the official partner of this year's spring meeting at Sweetens Cove. Started by fellow new club members Kevin Moore and Nico Doris, Golf Blueprint creates research-driven improvement plans tailored to your game. If you are a member of New Club, you can sign up directly in the app for your exclusive Golf Blueprint membership. You will receive six Golf Blueprint practice plans delivered monthly at a 25% discount. If you are not a member of New Club, head over to golfblueprint.com and start your improvement plan today.